0: That was author and interviewer Krista Tippett, and she has the podcast that's called On Being. And I think what I admire most about what she was saying and who she is is that she's intentional about creating a generous space. That's what I want to be about. Today, a parable and a warning, a lengthy commentary on the parables of Jesus says that this particular story uh, is not a favorite. The commentary says, many people do not like this parable. But I find those words to be uh, encouraging. Biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine says that a good parable afflicts the comfortable. So brace yourself. Prepare to be afflicted. From Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave... Throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) I had the great good pleasure this week of watering the plants at my house with my three year old niece. The task required two watering cans. One hefty, regular-sized for me, and a pint-sized watering can for the pint-sized girl. Right as we began our chore, she said, Aunt Dinah, there's dirt on my hands. Yes, I said, it's okay. But she put her watering can down on the step to the front door of my house, and she froze. My hands are dirty. Yeah, that happens when you're outside working in the garden. It's okay. But she wasn't reassured, and she didn't move. And so I asked her, do you want me to get a towel for your hands? Oh, yes, please, she said with a big smile. I don't want dirt on my hands. In many ways, I think this is the best learning from this particular parable in Matthew's gospel. I don't want dirt on my hands. To bury the talent, to hide it in the ground, well, it would have been a common security measure. It's a reasonable move, but it's not at all pleasing to the master. Digging in the ground and burying the talent sets in motion words and actions of harsh judgment. It's not what is expected, and it's not what is desired. This poor third slave, preacher Ellsworth Callus, calls him the underdog, the timid soul. And I don't know about you, but I am always a fan of the underdog cheering on the one who has very little chance to win because really, is there anything better than watching the one who's expected to lose take it all? That's a great thing. Each of the three servants is given an amount according to their ability, the text says. That's the setup. And this third guy is given the smallest amount. He's given just one. One. He clutches it tightly and buries it in the ground. He has dirt on his hands. And the reason, the reason the text says it, he's afraid. He says so in verse 25. I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. One thing that you should know about a talent, as the word was originally used in this story Is that it is a huge sum of money. The NIV Bible uses the phrase bag of gold instead of the word talent. A talent is equivalent to the wages of a day laborer for about 15 to 20 years. One talent, one talent could be a quarter of a million to a half of a million dollars today. It's definitely enough to intimidate, to stir up some fear, to think, why me? What in the world have I been entrusted with? A talent has some weight. It comes with a great deal of responsibility. I wish I had a video to show you of the pastors talking about this parable. We had some fun this week on Zoom talking about the meaning of this parable. I put it out there that the biblical scholar N.T. Wright suggests that the wicked servant digging in the dirt is the scribes and the Pharisees, because the leaders of the faith were given wonderful promises to bless the world. And instead of being a light to the world, they bury the light The warning is then, don't do the the very same thing that they did. Don't bury the light that is for all the world. But Daryl suggested that the five talents might represent the five books of Torah, and the two talents could be the two tablets that were given to Moses, the law that he brought down from Sinai, and Ryan said, then the one talent could be God, God's self, Jesus, the Messiah, and that the enmeshed faith and political leaders of the world killed him. They put him in the ground where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. I do have the great privilege of working with some brilliant people The meaning would then be trust the generous master because the generous master gives his very self to you. Really, there are several different solid possibilities for the meaning of this parable as there is with any of Jesus' parables Amy Jill Levine wrote a book on Jesus' parables. It's called Short Stories by Jesus. And she says that when considering a parable, it's less about what a parable means, and it's more about what a parable does. Parables are not to make us feel better. They're not happily ever after stories. A parable is there to unlock our thinking to help us see things in a new light. And when I think about what this story does to me, where it afflicts me, it's on the topic of fear. Fear wants to tell me what to do, to fight or to run. Fear tells me to protect. Fear tells me to bury what I have in the ground, to play it safe, to keep things the same. Letting fear dictate the course of action is never the best course. Brene Brown says that one of the biggest learnings in the book, Rising Strong for her, is that we as a culture don't know how to be afraid. None of us know how to be afraid. Brown says that used to, when she was afraid, she would get perfect, she would get controlling, she would get to blaming. She would get mean or she would run. But the thing is, almost anything that is worth doing in this life stirs up some fear in us. So Brene Brown says that she had to learn how to be afraid. And you know who taught her how to be afraid? You know what taught her to be afraid? She says grace. She says grace taught her to be afraid like the hymn amazing grace twas grace that taught my heart to fear grace can teach us how to be afraid grace says to us it's okay hang in there have heart have courage you can do this and in the doing after the doing the fear is relieved as the hymn goes Here's what I imagine about that parable. What I imagine to be true about that parable is that the third servant is not the only servant to be afraid. I imagine that both the first and the second were afraid too. We don't hear about it because they move beyond it. They take this heavy responsibility that's given to them and they risk. They step out and there's growth. Fear is relieved. For the first and second servants, fear doesn't get to make a claim. Fear doesn't get to define their experience. It is instead dismissed. I'm super pleased that my three-year-old niece knows what she wants for Christmas this year. It makes things easier on me. She says that Uncle Keith is the one who can get her this present, which surprises me because Uncle Keith doesn't do much of the shopping. But here's what she wants. She wants to hold a dead fish. She wants to hold a dead fish in her hands. Can you believe that she would ask for that? She did. That's sure going to get her hands dirty. But the thing about it is, I believe that's the right kind of dirty. That's the, I stared fear right in the eye and I didn't blink, dirty. She's getting an earlier start than I did. I never asked for a dead fish for Christmas. (laughs) But I think that she might just become a fisherwoman. I think that could be true. Because more often than not in this life, God multiplies the gifts of the responsibilities that we take on with fear and trembling. Not too many years ago, I was pushed back into a couple of difficult conversations by a mentor that I had that I lovingly called, lovingly referred to as Coach Todd. Uh, Todd was a life coach a faith coach, and I can remember saying to Coach Todd, you know, I really don't want to put myself out there. These conversations are not safe. It could hurt. It could smell. Boundaries are a very Christian thing, Todd. There's a set of books on boundaries. I know I've read them. Coach Todd saying back to me, Dinah, if Jesus is your model, you'll do it. You'll do it anyway. You'll be generous. You'll be vulnerable. You'll take the risk. Even if it stinks and even when it hurts, all will be well. Christian author Annie Dillard once said, I know that when there is any deprivation or fear, the solution for me is to give. Giving is the way I feel abundant. To give, to be generous, that's the antidote to fear. Chapter 25 of Matthew sits in this section of Scripture where the repeated theme is be alert. Be alert, be watchful, you must be ready. The Son of Man could come at any unexpected time. And for much of my life, I've been led to believe that this warning is that I should be on the lookout for the harsh master who will return with a vengeance. But now I think differently. Now I think I'm to keep my eyes peeled for fear. To be alert for fear. The very end of chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel, what immediately follows this parable is the separation of the sheep from the goats. What's the distinguishing factor? The distinguishing factor is that they give. It's that they're generous. The distinguishing factor is generosity. I intend for this place, for this space, to be a place that calls out the best in every one of us, myself included, where there is opportunity to risk generosity. We will be on the lookout for fear, and we will not give fear the microphone. We'll stand with our palms wide open, prepared to hold whatever gift is next. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, you do not leave us or forsake us. You give good gifts. We ask this day that you would stir up courage in every single one of us, that we will take the risks needed that lead to spiritual growth. You are generous. We want to be recognized as your children. We want to look like you. We ask these things in the name of the one who generously risked everything, Jesus the Christ. Amen.